Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. National Bank of Canada's first quarter results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mrs. Linda Boulanger, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first quarter presentation. Presenting this morning are Laurent Ferreira, President and CEO of the bank, Ghislain Parent, Chief Financial Officer, and Bill Bonnel, Chief Risk Officer. Also joining us for the Q&A session are Stéphane Achard and Lucie Blanchet, co-heads of PNC Banking, Martin Gagnon, Head of Wealth Management, Denis Giroir, Head of Financial Markets, and Jean Dagenet, Senior VP Finance. Before we begin, I refer you to slide two of our presentation, providing National Bank's caution regarding forward-looking statements. With that, let me now turn the call over to Laurent. Merci, Linda, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Today, the bank reported strong first-quarter results with pre-tax, pre-provision earnings up 14% from last year. The market and economic environments were conducive to business growth and translated into continued momentum across all business lines. Looking at our fundamentals, we are very comfortable with our current position. We generated strong asset growth while reaching a CET1 ratio of 12.7%. We have prudent credit reserves, and we delivered a return on equity of 21.7%, reflecting our balanced approach to revenue growth and cost management, our capital deployment discipline, and credit quality. Our capital deployment strategy remains unchanged. Our number one priority is to maintain strong capital ratios, allowing us to support our clients and generate solid organic growth. We're also actively returning capital to shareholders through sustainable dividends and share buybacks. In the first quarter, we we repurchased half a million common shares, and we have 6.5 million shares remaining under our current NCIB program. Our credit quality is strong, and our portfolios continue to perform well, supported by the ongoing economic recovery. We are also focused on optimizing our operational performance to maximize value creation, delivering positive operating leverage in Q1. We will maintain our usual balanced approach to investment and cost management while remaining cognizant of inflationary pressures. Turning now to our segments. PNC delivered strong results with PTPP earnings up 11% year over year. Our performance was driven by strong growth across the franchise. The housing market remains robust with retail mortgage loans up 2% sequentially. We also continue to experience significant sales growth in investment products. On the commercial side, we benefited from continued momentum across industries with 3% loan growth quarter over quarter. 
Our wealth management franchise continues to perform very well and delivered a strong first quarter PTPP earnings up 13% year over year. We saw continued momentum in full service brokerage and mutual fund sales. Client assets were up 17% year over year. Financial markets delivered a record quarter with revenues of 661 million. Global markets generated particularly strong results due to increased client activity and volatility. Corporate and investment banking delivered a resilient performance after coming off a record year, once again ranking as the top government debt dealmaker in 2021. ABA Bank continues to perform very well with revenues up 33%, loans up 38%, and deposits up 38% on a year-over-year basis. Cambodia did well during the pandemic despite the hit to tourism. Growth outlook for ABA Bank continues to be very attractive. Cambodia is a high-growth economy with favorable demographics. It is an underbanked market with strong potential we continue to expect double-digit growth for ABA for fiscal 2022. Credigy continues to perform well with strong portfolio performance in Q1 and a healthy investment pipeline. Revenues were up 26% sequentially. As mentioned on our last call, we expect revenues to be relatively stable in 2022, given the 26 million gain $26 million gain on the sale of a portfolio in the first quarter of last year. This translates into high single-digit revenue growth for fiscal 2022, excluding that gain. We continue to foresee double-digit asset growth for the year. I would now like to share an update on two recent changes. First, in support of enhancing our client experience accelerating our digital transformation and gaining efficiencies, we are bringing together our operations and technology teams under the leadership of Julie Lévesque, who has been responsible for the bank's technology sector since 2020. Second, we are proactively leveraging our collaborative models between commercial and private banking, two client segments with natural synergies. Namely, we are adopting a unique go-to-market strategy by merging the sales teams to enhance the overall client experience. Stéphane Achard, Head of Commercial Banking, and Eric Bujo, Head of Private Banking, will now be co-responsible for this strategic initiative and will report to me. Before I conclude, let me share a few thoughts on the macro environment. We are obviously keeping a close eye on inflation, global supply challenges, global supply chain challenges, as well as unfolding geopolitical events, which could exacerbate inflation and volatility and potentially have an impact on the global economic outlook. That being said, our current outlook for Canada and Quebec is positive. The Canadian economy benefits from strong demographics, which supports GDP and loan growth. The price of commodities are at record highs which also indicates potential growth for the Canadian economy. Quebec remains well-positioned with household saving rates above the national average, low unemployment, and a diversified economy. 
While Quebec did respond more aggressively to Omicron than other regions in Canada, most restrictions are being lifted and any impact will have been transitory. To wrap up, we had a very strong start to the year and all of our businesses are well positioned to continue to perform well. In light of our first quarter results, we are currently tracking ahead of our mid-single-digit PTPP growth guidance for the year. At this point in time, it is too early to provide an update on that front. Overall, we remain confident in our ability to generate solid PTPP growth and positive operating leverage for fiscal 2022. National Bank has a strong record for delivering superior value to its shareholders over time, and that remains a key focus for the team going forward. Before ending my remarks, I would like to say a few words on the executive changes announced this morning. After more than 10 years as our CFO, Gisela Parent will be taking on a new role as head of international reporting to me. Gisela's contribution over the last decade has been invaluable to the bank's success, and I'm very pleased to be able to count on his continued leadership. Gislain, merci. We also announced that Marie-Chantal Gingras will become our new CFO. Effective April 1st, Marie-Chantal is a strategic leader and she has held several roles in finance, internal audit and PNC banking since joining the bank in 1998. I am confident that Marie-Chantal will be an outstanding addition to the executive team. With that, I will now turn it over to Gislain. Thank you, Laurent, and good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Turning to page seven, the bank delivered a very strong quarter with all segments performing well. Pre-tax, pre-provision earnings grew 14% year over year, and we 3%. During the quarter, the bank reversed $20 million of the provisions for provincial compensatory tax on salaries. Without this reversal, PTPP earnings would be up 12% and operating leverage would be positive by 1%. Higher expenses during the quarter were driven by a low expense level in the first quarter of last year, higher variable compensation due to our strong performance, continued investments in talent and technology to support growth across all segments, and expenses related to our new subsidiary slings. As mentioned last quarter, we expect continued pressure on costs in the context of inflation. Nevertheless, expense management remains a top priority as demonstrated by our consistent track record. While it may vary from quarter to quarter, we are confident to achieve positive operating leverage for fiscal 2022. Turning to page eight, our teams are very disciplined and some of our segments achieve best in class efficiency ratios. As always, we are making targeted investments aimed at growing our top line and enhancing client experience. Looking at PNC, expense growth reflected higher wages to retain and attract talent in a tight labor market in addition, we continue to improve client experience 
With recent IT investments aimed at improving automation of our processes and leveraging our data. With regards to wealth management, expenses increased mostly due to the solid growth in full-service brokerage and mutual funds revenues, resulting in higher variable compensation. We also added resources to ensure a leading client experience in a context of above-average growth. Our wealth management segment efficiency ratio, below 60% for Q1, is in the low tier of the industry. Turning to financial markets, expense growth was mostly driven by variable compensation, reflecting strong revenue growth in global markets. In addition, our financial markets team continues to see opportunities to diversify our revenue streams and is investing in talent and technology accordingly. We ended the first quarter with an industry-leading efficiency ratio of 39%. With regards to international, while the segment continues to experience significant growth, it posted a low efficiency ratio of 28% in Q1 2022. To conclude on this topic, the entire team continues to manage costs actively with the objective to adapt rapidly to different growth scenarios and still be able to generate positive operating leverage for fiscal 2022. Now turning to capital on page nine. We ended Q1 with a strong CT1 ratio ratio of 12.7%, up 30 basis points from last quarter, positioning us well to generate strong asset growth. Our strong results, net of dividends, generated 58 basis points of capital. Excluding the impact of foreign exchange, risk-weighted assets grew, amounted to 14 basis points of CT1, mainly driven by loan growth. And during the quarter, we repurchased 500,000 common shares as part of our NCIB program, which reduced our CT1 ratio by five basis points. Now turning to page 10. Our total capital ratio stands at 16.1% this quarter. Our liquidity ratios remain strong, with a LCR ratio of 149% and a net stable funding ratio of 117%. We are pleased with our capital and liquidity position, which allows us to support continued growth across our segments and to return capital to shareholders. With that, I'll turn the call over to Bill. Merci, Gislain. Good morning, everyone. I'll begin on slide 12. The strong credit performance we saw in the second half of last year continued through the first quarter. Provisions on impaired loans totaled $24 million, or five basis points, an increase of $5 million, or one basis point, from last quarter. Impaired provisions remained close to cyclical lows across both retail and non-retail portfolios. On performing loan provisions, we benefited from a $34 million or seven basis point release. The primary drivers in our domestic loan portfolios were updates in portfolio quality, economic scenarios, and portfolio growth. In our international sector, strong loan growth generated $4 million of performing loan provisions. Looking ahead, three main factors inform our expectations for credit performance during the rest of the year. The first is that underlying economic trends have been strong. GDP growth, employment rates, 
excess savings are all supportive of benign credit conditions. Second is the level of uncertainty in the future path of the economy that comes from the geopolitical risks, inflation, supply chain challenges, and impacts from the pandemic. And the third factor is our bank's risk profile. Our resilient geographic footprint, our defensive business mix, our prudent provisioning, and our disciplined approach to underwriting and risk management all position our credit portfolios well in this environment of increased uncertainties. Considering these factors, we continue to expect a slow normalization of credit performance through the remainder of this year and into 2023. Given the strong performance year-to-date and the positive indicators in our portfolios, we've revised our target for full-year impaired provisions to between 10 to 20 basis points and currently expect to end up towards the lower part of that range. As we've commented in the past, our performing provisions should be driven by changes to uh, the macroeconomic outlook, portfolio growth, and migration. Absent a significant deterioration in the macroeconomic outlook, we would expect additional releases from our performing allowance in the coming quarters. Turning to slide 13, our allowance on performing loans declined by $32 million to $847 million, which represents a strong six times coverage of our last 12-month impaired PCLs. This takes the cumulative release from our pandemic bill to 45%. We are very comfortable with this prudent level of allowances. Total allowances for credit losses declined by $83 million from last quarter to $1.1 billion and continue to provide strong coverage of our loan portfolios well above pre-pandemic levels. Now on slide 14, gross impaired loans declined further last quarter to $608 million or 32 basis points. Formations in our PNC portfolios increased quarter over quarter, but remained well below pre-pandemic levels. Financial markets benefited from a net repayment in the quarter. Formations at ABA increased in the quarter as loans rolled out of COVID-related moratoriums, and performance on these matched our expectations. On slide 15, details of our Resil portfolio are provided. The geographic and product mix remain stable, with Quebec accounting for 54% and insured mortgages accounting for 32% of the portfolio. Employment and demographic trends remain supportive of continued strong performance in our RESO portfolio. In summary, we are are very pleased with the performance of our portfolios in the first quarter. We remain very comfortable with our portfolio's resilience, the diversification of our earnings streams, and our prudent approach to provisioning. With that, I will turn it back to the operator for the Q&A. Thank you. We'll now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This question is from Gabrielle Deschamps from National Bank. Please go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, volatility obviously helped the uh, trading numbers this quarter. Uh, you know, given the backdrop we're, you know, we're in currently, I'm just wondering if there's such a thing as too much volatility and what that looks like. Is it, is it mainly an issue of client activity falling off or, or you know, maybe positioning? Yeah, thanks, Gabrielle. It's Denis. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, you, you answered your question. Uh, basically, oh. <laughs> basically, yeah, it's a combination of, uh, you know, above average client activity in, in Q1 and also our uh, defensive position that uh, all of you known for, for, for many years that we keep repeating that, uh, you know, we, uh, we have a, a vault position that we keep on when uh, things uh, are getting a little bit erratic out there. But also I have to mention that on the global market, the fixed income did fairly well, also because they have a very defensive position, meaning very small position in, in credit spread and very small position on the yield curve. And all in all together, they made that quarter spectacular in terms of uh, trading revenue. Now, is this current quarter still early? And, of course, what happened yesterday is a bit of a twist, but are we still feeling good about the uh, you know, trading backdrop? I'm not sure I understand what you just mentioned, uh, Gabriel. Well, Can you repeat? Yesterday, 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 we've had a, you know, we have a, a quarter. We're, in, we're midway through Q2, and then uh, oh. you know, yesterday, yesterday happened. I'm wondering if uh, you, you can make a commentary on you know, what it's been like so far this quarter. Well, you know, it's tough because the market is so erratic and so volatile that it's, it's, be, it's going to be, as you can understand, tough for me to tell you what I should expect for this quarter. Then things are going okay, uh, okay. but it depends on what type of volatility we're going to see also. You know, then uh, there's some that we can do a bit better. There's others that, uh, you know, will do okay. But, uh, but right now, uh, you know, we're tracking okay. That's the most I can say right now because, uh, you know, the environment we're in tomorrow can be quite different than yesterday. Okay. Um, I'm just switching gears to ABA, another business that's really uh, humming along nicely. And, um, you know, uh, I got to ask the sustainability question. And it's more of a, is there a point at which you grow your loan book to a certain size and then that, that kind of spurs a, an investment requirement to scale up again? Or, or have you built this thing, because I know there was an investment phase a few years back, uh, have you built this thing for a you know, very long run, runway of growth? Yes, Gabriel, this is Ghislaine. Thank you for your question. So uh, 
with the improving economic conditions, I anticipate that EBA's uh, expense level will return to where it was pre-pandemic and okay. that the efficiency ratio will stay in the low 30s. So we do not anticipate major investments in the branch network. And inflation level, as you know, in, in Cambodia was already high before the pandemic. So we expect that it will stay the same after the, the pandemic. Okay, well, very fitting that you answered that question, Jitme, and congratulations and good luck in the new role. Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you. The next question is from Paul Holden from CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. Good morning. So, I want to ask you a question about the investments you're making in future growth, and I'd never argue that that's the wrong approach to take over time. But I guess what I want to ask is, why is it the right approach today, given the tight labor markets, inflationary pressures? Like, how do you how, how do you think about the cost of those investments versus the potential future uh, returns? Well, uh, this is Ghislaine here. So I, I can probably start with uh, you know an overall answer, and then I will pass it along to Lucie and maybe others. Um, so, um, to answer your questions, um, of course, uh, we what we try to do essentially, you know, you know, it's to have targeted investments. So, of course, uh, you know, we could uh, we could uh, probably do more, but because of what you just mentioned, you know, uh, we try to uh, to make our investments in talent and IT to uh, to support growth and we, we want it to be targeted. Uh, so essentially, this is what I could say for the moment, but you know, uh, to sustain, to maintain long-term growth, uh, we have no choice to maintain some investments in IT and, and, and talent, and uh, this is why we're doing it so. But once again, uh, we are targeting these investments where we think you know, they, they will uh, benefit the most for the bank. Maybe I could add, uh, Paul, uh, it's Laurent. Um, you know, discipline is, is the number one, uh, uh, you know, the, the mindset that we have when we look at, uh, you know, investing in our businesses. So uh, we tar when, when Justine talks about targeted investment, so it's really focused on the, in the areas that we believe we, we can grow. And uh, I think we've demonstrated uh, agility over time. So, uh, you know, if, if there is, uh, you know, a slowdown in terms of top-line revenue, well, you know, then we just reduce the, 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 the pace of hiring and our IT spend. And obviously, you know, variable comp adjusts uh, naturally. But, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, um, at our, our performance uh, through time, I think uh, we've demonstrated discipline, and and also if you look at uh, you know the efficiency ratios of some of our businesses, I think you know our performance uh, speaks for itself. Yeah, for sure, I agree with the historical tracker. Not not, not an easy question, but something I'm contemplating. Uh, and perhaps my second one's an easier one. Um, just wondering if you can give us an outlook on your take for residential mortgage growth through 2022, one of your competitors yesterday kind of guided to high single-digit mortgage growth, wondering if you're thinking uh, the same or higher or lower. 
Uh, yes, thank you for the question. It's Lucy. Um, so I would say that we are in line with that. We are comfortable with our disciplined approach between balancing volume, margin, and risk. And the way we see the market right now, we are confident to perform close to high uh, into the, the double digit, similar to what we achieved uh, in Q1. And we think that the, despite the rising in rates, the the imbalance between supply and demand should continue to stimulate the real estate market in the, during 2022. That's great. Thank you. That's all for me. Thank you. The next question is from Mina Groman from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Uh, Laurent, um, interested uh, to ask about Gislaine's appointment, um, that new position uh, in international. Does that signal a different phase? Uh, in the evolution of the international business, like what, what's the message for investors from that uh, uh, new role? Nothing in terms of the strategy. Um, I think in Q4 it was pretty clear. Uh, our focus remains on uh, ABA and credit chain, and the, the sector has grown enough that I think having a uh, an executive like Gislain to, to uh, be responsible for uh, the continued growth of that sector. Uh, is granted at this point, so that's uh, that's the story behind that. But uh, at this point in time, no changes in uh, in our, our strategy. And just specifically on the moratorium in terms of uh, new uh, acquisitions uh, in the international business, is there any sense that that is getting closer to changing? Nope, not at this point. Okay. Okay. And then. Um, Thanks for that. And, and then just a question for Bill. Uh, Bill, when you see 21% of your commercial loan growth, we, we've seen strong loan growth now, a very strong loan growth on the commercial side for a while. Like, does it raise your blood pressure? How do you... <laughs> Thanks for the question, Betty. I've actually got low blood pressure, uh, but the... Uh, the, as you know, I'm paid to, to worry about lots of things. The, the loan growth that we've seen I, I, is not, it's not been a cause of concern for me, though. If you look, particularly you'll see it this quarter, and I think uh, Stefan um, preluded to it last quarter, it's, it's very diversified. I think this quarter there were five or six sectors which were above our average portfolio growth. And, and um, if you remember, too, before the pandemic, in 18 and 19, as we felt we were late cycle, in the uh, uh, late in the cycle, we had been pretty disciplined at controlling the growth in in uh, in the book, and particularly in in some cycles. So, it that set us up to be able to seize opportunities, uh, and we've got uh, strong teams uh, in in those uh, the sectors that we grew in, both in the in Stefan's. Uh, business, but also in my uh, credit shop, and we've been quite, quite comfortable with the growth. Does that answer your question, Manny? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thank you. The next question is from Lamar Persaud from Cormac Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, when I look at your balance sheet, there's a big step down in the uh, repo balances throughout 2021, and then you know a sharp step back up this quarter. Can you talk to... Uh, uh, I guess what drove the decline in 2021 and the uh, step back up in Q1 22? Maybe I could start uh, at Laurent. I'll let uh, 
So you have uh, 2021, uh, you know, with uh, the inject the injection of liquidity by central banks, quantitative easing. Um, you know, the whole sector of securities finance, which includes repo, um, you know, the pricing went down significantly, and the demand for uh, ba- uh, balance sheet went down significantly. Uh, and so, with um, you know, obviously the change in the and uh, uh, you know uh, the uh, monetary policy across the world uh, for 2022, we've seen that shift coming. And so there is more demand for, uh, I think, for uh, for balancing and financing uh, securities. They need. Yeah, yeah, and specifically in uh, in the equity uh, in equity market, we haven't seen that much in the uh, the bond side though. But in the equity uh, market on the securities lending, yeah, we saw a uptick. Uh, but that uptick, uh, you know, was uh, quite interesting. But I can tell you that right now in February, we saw that thing back to where it was last year, which is uh, kind of a uh, mind-boggling right now because it's, it's kind of bizarre that we're seeing that but you know things may change very, very rapidly but it's probably a temporary situation but yes the first quarter it was a nice uptick because it was pretty low in fact uh, historically last year uh, in, in that particular business okay great and what about spreads in that business have they uh, have they increased it well did they increase in, in Q1 and are they going back down uh, as we look forward in, in to, uh, Q2 Yes, they did increase uh, in, in Q1. They came back a little bit in, in Q2 at the start of, uh, of uh, February, but it's uh, you know too soon to say if it's going to stay like that for a while, because there's a lot of stuff in the market right now, as you know. You know. Okay, great. And then my next question is just on the uh, domestic mortgage growth. It's perhaps a little bit softer than some of your your peers this quarter. Can you talk to what happened there? Like, is there is there some unique factors in the Quebec mortgage market, maybe increased competition, uh, maybe that impacted? I don't know. Uh, any comments there would be uh, helpful. Uh, yes, thank you. It's Lucy. I would say that we've seen originations a little softer this quarter and uh, probably link that with the increasing rate environment. But just as a reminder, you know, originations have reached record high in 2020 and 2021. So it's nothing that we that is really material at this point. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Nigel Souza from Altas Investment Research. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Good morning. I wanted to first touch on your performing loan allowances. You noted in your slide that there's been a cumulative release of 45% from what you built through the pandemic, and I'm trying to get a sense of um, the timing of when you think that could completely release, and when we have around the corner a return to office and a more broader reopening, and the current credit environment is still fairly benign. So assuming that we don't get a deterioration in uh, the economic outlook, when do you think your performing allowances might uh, get back to a more normalized level? Thanks, Nigel. It's Bill. I'll, I'll take the question. Of course, the uh, I think I referred to that in in the script, and, and as you as you pointed out in your question, that you know, absent a significant uh, shock in the macro outlook, we would expect uh, continued releases of those in the in the coming quarters. So, the you've seen that uh, over the past uh, three or four quarters, there have been um, there have been releases. We want to remain. Prudent, uh, and our prudency is is uh, is uh, linked to the level of uncertainty in the market. 
So they're, they're, the pandemic uh, uh, seems to be close to turning into an end, endemic phase, more back to the office. However, um, the, this is the first time we've been through a pandemic cycle, as I think I've commented on the past, and we think that uh, it's, it's prudent to remain well provisioned. Does that okay, answer so your question? Yeah, it does. It doesn't sound like you're going to accelerate that uh, that release. So that's that's good color. And if I could switch gears to uh, your trading P&L and maybe ask it in a different way. When I look at your daily trading P&L last quarter, um, you had elevated interest rate volatility in October, and, and you had some P&L losses there. When I look at January, um, you know you haven't had any P&L losses in January, despite more elevated interest rate volatility uh, in that month. So. I think you touched on having, I guess, less exposure to the, the curve and spreads, but could you touch on your exposure to interest rate volatility and how that affects your P&L? Well, the interest rate volatility are, is not affecting our P&L that much because, as I said, uh, we're running very low balance sheet and fixed income right now, and we have no exposure to the market uh, as per se as an interest rate. You know, we're not betting on the interest rate at all. In fact, what we're doing is uh, we're servicing the client on the, the, the trading activity and the, uh, the business that they want to do. And on the credit side, you know, we are uh, uh, on purpose. We keep our CSO one very, very low, uh, either or in uh, the corporate sector or the uh, government sectors. And uh, we just do quite a lot of volume and activities with clients but we keep aggregates and exposure at the minimum as uh, we can right now. That's why we have a, you know, not that much uh, exposure to uh, movement of interest rates. Got it. And just last question for me. You mentioned that you know, too much volatility could, could be uh, you know, detrimental in some scenarios. If we could switch to maybe you know, the ability of um, you know, to go to market for equity or debt issuance, are you seeing any challenges there in, in, in an environment where we have a lot of volatility both in equities and in interest rates well you know volatility can can take the form of many aspects in a sense that you can have intraday volatility and long-term volatility where you have a market trading down uh, I would say that we haven't seen yet a very very long negative slope on let's say equity let's say being down 15 20 25 percent okay what we saw in the first quarter it's more intraday volatility where we can catch those uh, movements through our uh, vol position. Uh, the, the, the other one, the other situation, uh, you know, we'll see when we're there uh, and, uh, and how it can, it can affect positively or negatively the book. But right now, you know, we're not in that situation at all. What we're seeing is just uh, intraday volatility uh, and in that uh, type of environment, we're doing quite well. Because okay. of our... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, because of, of our... Uh, Positioning that we're very very conservative the way we trade the uh, you know those vol and uh, I would see those gamma position That's a really helpful color. Thank you Thank you the next question is from Saurabh Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets, please go ahead Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to also pick away a little bit at the at the trading uh, results this quarter very strong maybe maybe ultimately is it possible that if you have uh, 150, 200 million dollars swing in trading revenues to the upside, can we also see something like that from quarter to quarter to the downside? And, and would you say that you know how would how, how is the positioning to pre, I guess to defend the downside or provide some downside protection here? Maybe I could uh, start. Uh, Sorry, it's Laurent. <clears throat> 
And, uh, you know, and you know, I, I, I grew up in financial markets with Denis. Uh, the financial market business is a client-driven business. And so uh, when you have heightened levels of, of uh, um, uh, volatility, often, you know, it, it does drive more transactions. So we did see more trading activity with our clients during the first quarter. And as Denis was mentioning, uh, we, we, we trade... Uh, we position ourselves defensively. That's the philosophy that we have. Whether it's credit, whether it's equity ball, uh, or, or interest rates. Um, and so if you look at our past performance, um, we, te- we tend to do well when volatility increases. And if you can go back and run all the numbers. And so that's the philosophy. Are we immune? No, no one's immune. But uh, we, we, um, the way we, we've built the business is we want to make sure that uh, through uh, volatile times, uh, we can keep growing our franchise. Right? That's, that's the objective. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and you know, yeah, you're talking a lot about the trading and the, uh, you know, the volatility that we saw in the first quarter. But also, you ha- and I mentioned it earlier, you know, our client activity was way above expectation that means that our distribution channel and all the product that we're selling is uh is more robust than in the past and much bigger than in the past i would say even outside canada and that's why we we had a a very very good equity uh you know um, numbers uh in, in q1 then then as long as the uh, the clients are, at, are active um you know in different type of environment we will do well that's for sure I mean, not to not to belabor the point, but you had an exceptionally strong quarter because of client activity. If next quarter, for whatever reason, we have an exceptionally inactive client, yeah. uh, you know, could we be back down to two hundred million dollar or below from a trading revenue perspective? Two hundred million seems to be a big number to me, but we can see the numbers being down. Uh, okay. With lower client activity, but not at that level, no. Okay, that's, that's very helpful. And then, Bill, um, if I can just come to you, obviously, um, I think in pretty good condition as far as reserves and what have you, you mentioned that pre-pandemic, for obviously reasons unrelated to the pandemic, the bank had kind of started to throttle back a little bit from a – maybe your risk appetite didn't allow for some of the growth that was available, and now you're – blood pressure is low and all that kind of good stuff. But the what sort of stuff are you looking for to decide when is the right time for the bank to throttle back again, if if at all? Like what are some of the leading indicators you as a as an experienced risk manager are paying attention to? Um aside from the fact that you've, you're well-reserved and you've got good frontline originators and what have you, but what are some of the things you are paying attention to to figure out when the blood pressure should maybe start going up? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Zorab. Uh, I appreciate the, the question. I, I, I take it uh, at, a, at, a, at a philosophical approach. What, what's important is the consistent discipline through the cycle, and that's, that is the most important factor. So at points in the cycle, you should expect that where uh, where yields are, you know, where, where growth is low and yields are low, there could be pressure in the market to stretch, and those are the times when one must remember a disciplined approach to the cycle is very important. I think that's what you saw 
um, in the uh, in the pre-pandemic late cycle period. And you should expect that we'll continue to uh, to be disciplined. The balance that Lucy mentions, it's the same in commercial and uh, financial markets as well. The the balance between uh, um, growth and uh, and spread return and uh, risk is is always on our minds. So I I couldn't point you to any particular red flag or, or shining light that will be the factor. I'd just uh, uh, say that where we see some stretches and one of those, you know, the balance between those three factors, we're likely to be uh, to be disciplined and prudent. Does that answer your question, Saurabh? I think it does. And, and maybe if I push my luck, so would you say in that point in the cycle comment, where would you say you think we are in the cycle? Early third, middle third, or the final third? That's another very good question, Saurabh. And uh, I'll relate it to we haven't been through a pandemic cycle. So this, this, this is unlike uh, previous cycles. Um, there are some aspects of current conditions that seem, uh, seem more mid-cycle. Some seem uh, later or mid to late and some seem early to mid. Um, and that uh, reflects the level of uncertainty in the forward view. So the, I, I couldn't tell you exactly where we are in the cycle, but I'll remind you, as I said in my script, the underlying economic growth, the underlying conditions and employment uh, in the economy are strong, and there is uncertainty about the path in the future. So I didn't give you a direct answer. If I, if I was capable of telling you what inning we were in, I'd, uh, I would, but that's kind of the balance uh, as I see it. Does that help? Yeah, uh, good enough. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next question is from Mike Rizvanovic from Stifle. Please go ahead. Hey, morning. I want to go back to Lucy on your mortgage growth and specifically the Quebec market. So I, I, I do notice uh, some pretty strong market share gains in Quebec uh, for national pretty much all the way throughout the pandemic. And then the last couple quarters, you've actually lost a lot of that. Um, I'm not sure how this quarter is going to shake out ultimately, but um, clearly, some of your peers have been more aggressive in the Quebec market. And I'm just wondering, you know, given that it's more than half your uh, Rezo book overall, it, like, I guess for lack of a better term, do you have to defend your turf? And if you do, uh, in terms of client acquisition, what does that mean potentially for your for your margins going forward? Yes, thank you for the question. Um, I think the mortgage market is always very, very, very competitive, and especially in a rising rate environment. Client rate lag a little bit, uh, and we see more market competitiveness. So we've seen some of that in the last quarters, last two quarters maybe. So that lag is really there, and this is where, getting back to what Bill said, we are very prudent in our balance between the volume, the margin, and the risk. So lately, I would say that margin has been tight, for sure, in the context of rising rate environment. However, uh, we do see much more customer engagement uh, coming from our, from our mortgage activity. So we are, I think we're very happy with our strategy, which is based on our internal channels in terms of growth. And this is also something that is very, very important in our strategy. So we feel confident uh, of the, um, the approach we have on the client side. Does well, that okay, thanks for that. Yeah, that, that's helpful. And then just, I guess I'm wondering also, uh, what sort of impact is the broker channel having in the Quebec market? If any, is, is it more so an impact there in terms of where the competitive 
pressures are, are sort of being exacerbated, or is it your traditional channels? 70-75% uh, is based on our internal channel. Uh, as you know, we made a big change on our strategy on brokers a couple of years ago, and we are back in that channel now because it's a challenge that definitely customers, uh, specifically first-time home buyers, uh, prefer. So we are present, but our strategy is really based on our internal channel. Again, for for a long-term customer engagement strategy. And so, would you say you're, you've lost a little bit of this market share, predominantly in the broker channel or in your in your branch channel? I missed the beginning of your question. Sorry. I was just wondering, with respect to the recent market share losses, the last couple quarters, would that have come in your broker channel or your or your uh, branch source origination? Bro broker. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. The next question is from Mario Madonka from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, Bill, could we go back to you and uh, focus on ABA for a moment? Uh, ABA, uh, loans to ABA are now about a third of the company's common equity, and, and you're growing those loans at, I think it's around five times the growth in GDP in Cambodia. So, so clearly this has become a very important part of the overall business of national. You just remind us, how do you get comfortable with this sort of loan growth, particularly given your comments about the uncertainty? We're, we're really not sure where we are in this cycle. So how do you get comfortable with that kind of growth um, in this environment? Thanks for the question, Mario. I'll, I'll, I'll start off the, with the macro picture and part of the rationale for the investment in ABA and Cambodia is, is, is part of the answer to your question. So it's an economy that is, is growing, uh, has a, a strong growth rate. It's an economy that is uh, quite a young population. Uh, it's an economy that is underbanked. And so the relationship that you would normally find in, say, the the banking growth and, uh, and GDP growth in a developed uh, economy like Canada is it's a different relationship in, in, uh, in a country like Cambodia. In addition to that, we have uh, had very good execution, very good strategy uh, to, um, to be quite performing in that, uh, in that space. So the digital rollout, the, the uh, the execution on, uh, on expanding discipline approach and expanding the branch network, maybe Gislam, I'll pass it over to Gislam, but the, the context is quite different than, than uh, an economy like Canada where a comparison that you're making in terms of loan growth and uh, GDP growth would, would probably uh, maybe not give me high blood pressure, but would certainly uh, um, generate some more concern. Um, Gislam, do you have any other comments? Uh, yeah, I would add probably, you know, the, the country is still on the bank uh, compared to other countries, so which is, uh, which is important to take into consideration. Also, um, we continue to grow in the same business models, so we haven't changed the business models, it's the same kind of loans, so it's small loans, small SMEs, you know, the uh, average loan balance is below $50,000. So we have a great, uh, we have a large diversification in terms of loans and throughout the country. You know, we have uh, 80 branches throughout the country. So um, the question is good, Mario, but at the same time, you know, we're not 
uh, we're not growing in, in, in things that we don't know. This is ex- exactly the same business model as we grew from, from the beginning. So the lending is still very much tilted towards secured lending. That's true, isn't it? And loan-to-values, maybe you could give us an idea where loan-to-values are? Uh, yes, and I, well, uh, to answer your question, uh, yes, uh, it's secured business. And I think, um, I don't have the number, maybe we could come back to you on, on that, but it's very high. Uh, the loan-to-values loan are very to, high? No, no, the, no, 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 the, no, in terms of secured, uh, re, uh, secured, oh, oh, uh, secured but uh, I think that the loan to value is below 50%, if I remember correctly. Okay, and then just one quick question on Credigy. Uh, just looking at the credit performance there, there was a time, looking back, where Credigy loan losses, the loan loss rate was, was obviously much higher than where it is now. And as I think about the future, I, I obviously don't feel comfortable uh, assuming that losses reach that level again. So just to remind me, how has credity, how has the nature of credity's business changed to support the notion that we're not going to see credit losses the way we did in the past? Yeah, Bill, do you want to? Well, I will start, and then uh, Bill yeah. could complete. So um, I think that during the pandemic, the team showed its resilience and its capacity to change its business model. So, uh, of course, uh, we changed completely uh, the portfolio. The portfolio is more than 80% secured right now, whereas, you know, before the pandemic, five years ago, it was 20% secured. So, um, so, um, so what you're seeing in terms of, uh, of PCLs, essentially, is the reflect of, you know, the changes that we made in the portfolio. And of course, um, you know, that portfolio has a short duration, so we could change our strategy, you know, very rapidly. So if we think that the unsecured business, were, you know, if we have more opportunities and the environment is better for unsecured business, then we would go in the unsecured business. And of course, I mean, we, we will see probably more PCLs, but a greater return on, on the assets, though. That covers it. Thank you for your help. Thank you. The next question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Most of my questions have been asked and answered. Just have a few follow-ups. On the card balances, uh, they were up 5% quarter over quarter, which was you know double what we saw with some of your peers uh, so far this quarter. Just curious what you're seeing on that front is I assume this is more transaction related uh, relative to purchase volumes, or are you starting to see any return uh, in the revolver side? Yes, thank you, it's Lucy. So uh, definitely credit card will be part of the growth story in 2022. And uh, what we see right now is all the credit card indicators are on an upward trend. So, uh, and that is very positive. So in Q1, uh, I would say, we uh, had um, purchase volume reach an all-time high of the past three years. So definitely there's that in the increase in balances. But also we have active accounts that are growing faster than pre-pandemic, uh, and slowly the revolving balances are starting to creep up. Um, so definitely the business is going in the right direction. 
Can you give perspective of where the revolver stands relative to where it was pre-pandemic? Like what the pay-down rates are then versus now? Uh, the pay-down continues to be high. Uh, it is at the same level than what we have witnessed during the pandemic, so definitely there is still a lot of liquidity in current accounts that is being used for that, and we see the consumers uh, you know, being prudent on that front. Doug, I'll give you it, Stefan. I'll give you the view on the commercial side. Uh, Pre-pandemic levels, uh, or, or when the pandemic started, revolver levels went down by 800 basis points, and we've recuperated 500 of that so at this point, and it's going up every quarter. But we still have, if I may say, money in the bank in terms of uh, potential for growth because we're still 300 basis points be behind be pre-pandemic levels. So I yeah. Go ahead. No, just to finish on the credit card, the way we see the revolving balance with the consumer, uh, you know, being still prudent, uh, probably the portfolio um, would be more up to the pre-pandemic level by the end of the year or early next year. Okay, perfect. And then just maybe lastly, just land up, and I look at the corporate segment, and I know there's a lot of things that go in there, but if I reverse the 20 million unusual item, um, that you kind of talked about. It still seems like corporate losses were lower than um, lower than normal. And it, it, I'm just trying to understand: is there anything else unusual that went through corporate this quarter? Um, thanks. Um, we'll let Jean answer. Well, well uh, it, it, there's no uh, other unusual element. If you look at it in the last three quarters, it's, it's pretty similar. So uh, except for the maybe the expenses that were higher at the end of fiscal year 2021, which is the normal case when you have projects that are being uh, spent and they're mostly spent at the end of the year. So uh, other than that, it's, uh, it's normal. Okay, appreciate the color. Thanks. Thank you. As a reminder, you may press star one if you have a question. The next question is from Darko Mihalik from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you, and um, sincere apologies if this has been asked. My phone, <laughs> my phone went dead for a few minutes there during the call, uh, so so hopefully I'm not uh, asking uh, a duplicate question. Lorraine, you mentioned uh, during your remarks that you're making some organizational changes, and um, you know from from the outside looking in, it's a little bit hard to understand if this is material. Like when you're merging private banking and commercial sales teams and and so on. Is, is this material enough or big enough that we should expect maybe restructuring charges? Um, or, and is there any kind of revenue um, upside you can, you can provide for us or any way for us to size uh, whether or not this is really going to move the, the earnings numbers? Uh, and I, I appreciate it may not happen immediately, but is there anything you can, you can offer to us um, in terms of uh, materiality and what you're expecting uh, on the earnings front from this, from this move? Sure, Darko. Thank you for your question. So, uh, no restructuring charges. So that's to answer your first uh, question. Um, this is an evolution of the approach that we've had with uh, our sales team, and we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, we've, um, you know, uh, at the at the ground level, worked really hard to bring our bankers together in various business lines uh, and work. Uh, you know, a, a, um, a combined approach towards our clients. So, um, 
you know, so f from our perspective here, it's early days, but we want, we, we definitely saw, you know, a lot of natural uh, synergies between private bank and commercial. Uh, you know, we, when we look at the, the overall clients, there's clearly an overlap. Um, so, so first of all, you know, we wanted to send uh, a clear message from the top uh, and get our teams to work even closer together. So that's that's the objective. And obviously, you know, I'm going to let uh, Stefan uh, and Eric uh, work on this. Uh, but um, the uh, the idea is yes to drive a lot more top line. Okay, thank you. Uh, and my follow up question is just on market risk, again, um, similar to another bank that reported today, somehow in the middle of the volatility uh, that we saw and very strong trading results, we don't see a change in market risk. Maybe you can just talk to that a little bit. Thanks, Darko. I'll take it. It's Bill. The, uh, I think as Denis mentioned, a lot of the volatility that we saw during the quarter was intraday, um, and it didn't, uh, our, our VAR uh, numbers were fairly unchanged, I think, quarter over quarter. The, the market risk capital has got a few components. There's VAR, SVAR, and, uh, and uh, interest rate specific. There's a few different components. The one uh, this quarter was the SVAR, which was uh, which was beneficial from a capital perspective, and that really just benefited from uh, uh, increased diversification across the risk factors this quarter. Nothing else to call out. Okay, but I guess the follow-up to that would be, um, you know, given given the strong environment and the strong results, um, I guess why not pack more on? Why not increase, um, you know, your, um, your inventory levels and so on for, uh, for higher client uh, activity? I'm I just, just curious as to why you, you wouldn't go down that path given the strong results of, that, you're, that you were actually having during the quarter. Uh, Darko, I think I'll, I'll – uh, Jenny may have some, some uh, comments afterwards, but I'll, I'll flip that around. I think the, because it was driven by client business and client activity – it, it's activity that doesn't require taking big positions. So the the the, the when it's when the, the more client activity, particularly when it's uh, in transactions happen during the the day uh, with intraday volatility, it doesn't change your end of day position very much. So the uh, um, that's the, I think we don't think about it in terms of of building up more inventory to to uh, satisfy the. Uh, the flow, if the flow is quite balanced, Denny. Yeah, I think I, think, I believe you have the right answer. Is that you know, with the volume picking up, uh, you know, the more volume, the more activity you have a client, probably the less inventory you have because you can turn that very much faster. And this is basically what happened in the first quarter. And there was no reason to add any balance sheet or exposure to the to the market, uh, considering uh, you know our prudent approach to that market. And uh, and we're still the same right now. Does that answer your question, Darko? Yeah, I think it's helpful. And just one last one I'll throw in there. Oil prices are rising. Does it change your, your business view? Uh, does it change anything for you um, with respect to that particular segment in the marketplace? Uh, no, it, uh, this is the answer. It doesn't change anything, uh, not at this point. Okay. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you, Darko. Operator, do we have any more questions? If there's more, no more questions, back to you, Laurent. Well, thank you, Linda, and thank you, everyone. Have a good weekend.
This concludes the presentation. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.